this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive, uh, Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. How wonderful it is to hear our choir and to remind us what we're hoping for, to one day be together again in that way. This month, or actually over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the great prayers in Scripture. Kara has walked us through many of them, but like a great starting pitcher, she's called to the bullpen to close out the ninth, need the big-armed righty. Uh, just like my Braves are doing. So I am here to finish out our series this week talking about the prayer of St. Stephen that we find in Acts 7. So we're finishing up with uh, the book of Acts and the martyrdom of St. Stephen. And we've had some amazing prayers so far. We've seen reluctant prophets. We've seen young priests in training. We've seen justice-minded psalmists. Today, however, we have our first martyr, and it came to my attention after the first service, maybe not everybody knows what the word martyr means, if to be a martyr is someone who is killed for their faith. Christianity, we have a rich tradition of martyrs. So Stephen was the first martyr recorded in the book of Acts. He was stoned after his groundbreaking defense of his faith that became a foundation for Christian thought for centuries going forward. He was tried in front of what was most likely the local Sanhedrin, made up of leaders from local synagogues in the surrounding area. And we're going to go through the full story of Stephen in a second. But first, I would like to read his prayer that ends out um, chapter 7. It's not very long, but it goes like this. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he died. What a powerful section of scripture. One that draws parallels to Jesus himself during his crucifixion. There was no violence that we know of on Stephen's end. And in his final moments, he calls out to God, not for himself, but for those who are persecuting him. Stephen, as I mentioned earlier, was the first martyr of the early church in the book of Acts. And many martyrs throughout history have followed his leads in their final words or final prayers. But just hearing the tail end of the story leads us to some real questions. Why was Stephen put on trial? Was he guilty of the accusations that they levied against him? And why was Stephen, who we just heard of in the chapter before... Why is he even in this position? Well, let's start out with that last question first. 
See, Stephen, as I said, first appears in Acts 6, only a few verses before this, which by my calculation means he has one of the quickest intros and exits in all of the Bible. Maybe Goliath has him beat by a couple verses, but he's in and out. So Stephen is appointed to a position at the beginning of Acts 6, one of the seven who were selected to make sure that the new church was caring for its members correctly. See, as their ranks expanded, they welcomed the early church, both Jew and Gentile. And many places in the ancient world, they were never going to meet. They're not used to being together. So the Gentiles' believers said that their people weren't getting cared for in the same way that the Jewish believers were getting cared for, particularly when it came to the support of widows. The church was relatively new. From the book perspective, they had existed for about four chapters. And they were still headquartered out of local synagogues. They hadn't moved into people's homes yet. So the Jewish people in the early church were used to taking care of Jewish widows, but not so much taking care of their Gentile followers. This was a new venture. And the apostles wanted to be faithful to everyone in their communities while they were still preaching and expanding the kingdom of God. So they got together, and they commissioned to seven men, sorry women, it'll, it'll be your day someday, to make the church, to make sure that the church was doing its service faithfully. Many people will point to this as the beginning of the role of deacon that we see in the church. Even though that word isn't used here, I think it makes a lot of sense. So Stephen and the other six are laid hands upon what we would call commission or ordained and sent out to do the work of the early church. And so Stephen did. It says he performed many great signs and wonders among the people, and he spoke in synagogues around about Christ, which is where his trouble started. Many of the synagogue leaders did not like what Stephen was saying. And so they got together what the book of Acts calls false witnesses, arrested Stephen, and brought him before the council of the leaders for a trial. The accusation was twofold. They claimed that Stephen said Jesus would destroy this place, I'm assuming meaning the synagogues and the cities, and that Jesus would change the customs that Moses set down in the law. Now we'll get to what Stephen has to say about it in a second, but I could understand why Christian teachings sounded like this. Jesus talked about the destruction of the temple and all earthly institutions when he talked about the coming judgment. And he constantly reinterpreted the law of Moses throughout his ministry. The Sabbath, rules on adultery, the understanding of purity, all of these ideas were turned upside down by Jesus during his earthly ministry. And though there is no evidence that Stephen ever met Christ, he would certainly have heard these stories as a follower. Despite many people's assertions, the Jewish councils held a fair trial. They allowed witnesses on both sides, and they let Stephen testify himself to what he had been saying. So Stephen lays out what he had been teaching, and he focuses on two main points. Number one, God does not dwell in earthly places. He uses Abraham encountering God way before the temple was built, He even uses the tent that Moses used in the desert to house the glory of God. 
His second point is that Israel has consistently persecuted those who spoke for God, and in doing so, turned against God. It is only after generations pass that Israel, as a country and as a people, understand the importance that the, the, role, the important roles that these prophets played. His speech is quite long. It takes almost the entirety of chapter 7. And he recounts Jewish history from Abraham to Joseph to Moses and jumps all the way to Solomon building the temple, highlighting his two main points over and over. Then Stephen decides to end his very eloquent, well-thought-out, respectful defense with a couple of quick insults. Right before our verses today, he says, You stiff-necked people. I don't even know what that means. I don't understand what that insult is. He says, Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit just as your ancestors did. Not the best move there, Stephen. He's facing the death penalty, and he insults them, and then insults their mothers as well. Now, considering I've called Stephen a martyr and talked about the martyrdom of Stephen multiple times, it's pretty safe to assume where this is all going. But I want us to take just a second and appreciate what Stephen's testimony shows us about Christ. Stephen was obviously well-versed in Jewish history before this moment. And he used his revelation, he used his encounter with the Holy Spirit and with the church to let Christ reform his thinking about his faith and his history. It's the same call we as Christians have today. Encountering Jesus should cause us to completely rethink our traditions, our assumptions about God, and our own lives, just like Stephen did. And not just once but consistently and constantly we're called to reform our views and find where God is calling us. I'm going to jump a little bit. The beginning of Hebrews in chapter 1 is, in my opinion, one of the most important sections we have when it comes to interpreting Scripture. And in verse 3 it says this, The Son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Here the author of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus and God have the exact same nature. If you couldn't imagine Jesus doing it, then God would never do it and vice versa. This revelation can cause us to rethink things. At least it did for me. It made me question things like the slaughter at Jericho the final plague on Egypt, the countless wars and battles fought in the history of Israel. It made me ask, are these in the personality of Christ to command? These are the kinds of questions this verse brings up for me. But this idea for Stephen caused him to rethink his own history and his community's history in relation to God. Stephen is teaching us, he's showing us how the revelation of Christ in his very life has affected not only our lives, but our perspectives. Christ's revelation changes the way we look at history and theology and God's very nature. To bring it down to our own level, it changes how we see scripture, how we see others, and how we see ourselves. As we see in our prayer today, it can even change the words we use 
our attitudes, and our language. One thing that gets lost in this story is that it introduces a figure who will become infinitely important to the history of Christianity. Saul is present here at the martyrdom of Stephen. It says in the verse we read, the crowd laid their coats at the feet of Saul during the stoning of Stephen. And at the beginning of the next chapter, it says that Saul approved of the execution of Stephen. Most scholars have said that this implies that Saul was playing some type of role for maybe the greater Sanhedrin or a greater council to approve such an action. Saul, who if you're not aware, became Paul the apostle after his conversion, is responsible for most of the New Testament writings and is probably the most important first century Christian figure besides Christ himself. In the final section of Romans, who many consider the magnum opus of the epistles, we see Paul share a similar theology to what Stephen says here. Paul writes in Romans 12 of a renewing of your mind, which a lot of theologians have called a mental revolution, one that changes both your intellect as well as your heart and spirit. He goes on in the next chapter to famously say that we are no longer beholden to the letter of the law, but we are held under the law of grace. This echoes so much of what Stephen is saying here in his final speech. Stephen's actions and words had an impact on Saul, at least I think they do, even though he's not directly credited. Our worldview, the way we see Christ and by extension God in the world, isn't just for us. We're called to first understand God for ourselves, but it doesn't end there. What we decide to express publicly, the actions we take towards other, the theology that we live out each and every day of our lives, that has a greater impact than we can ever understand one that can ring down like Stephen's has through generations and centuries and millennia. Stephen's prayer itself is a very simple one. Before his prayer, he sees heavens open up and he had a vision because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of God and he exclaims as much to the crowd. And then the crowd drags him out and begins to stone him. Then he echoes what we heard Christ say on the cross, Lord, receive my spirit. But before he goes, he shouts for God to forgive his enemies. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen changed here, right? I read his insults, stiff-necked people, uncircumcised hearts and ears. Yo mama is kind of how that sounded to me. This is after he insults the council. But instead of Stephen continuing to behave like an upset human being who's about to be executed, so it's understandable he'd be upset, he could have hurled more insults, he could have shouted and yelled. Stephen allowed himself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instead, his language changes and he begins to speak the prayer that we have read. The prayer that calls for the forgiveness of those who persecute him. The prayer that asks God to receive his spirit. The prayer that emulates the final words of Christ on the cross. Just like Stephen, let his relationship, his revelation with Christ change his worldview. 
He let the Holy Spirit change his behavior right before his death. He went from one who stood defiant and insolent and proud to someone who was humble, sought the forgiveness of others, and full of the Holy Spirit. We would all be fortunate to face life, death, and everything to come in the same way as Stephen. Someone who's humble, who forgives others, and is full of the Holy Spirit. Amen.